Okay, hi everybody. I'm Tracy. I'm an alcoholic from Fort Erie, Ontario, Canada. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be asked to speak. And I'm sorry if people are going to have to listen to me again because it seems to me that you get asked one after another. It seems like I've spoke a lot lately, which is okay because I never say the same thing twice because I never plan anything because that would just confuse me and get me nervous and I just don't want to be nervous. Although, and I'm really not that nervous. And I got to tell you, that's one of the greatest things that AA did for me was allow me to speak in public because I couldn't even read a sentence in a book out loud when I first came around many years ago. I was so frightened to speak out loud and now I can speak at a meeting. So what a gift that is. I mean, that's one of the little gifts and there's many, that's for sure. So I've been sober around, I think I just celebrated like two and a half years clean and sober which is the longest stint I've ever had, but I've been around AA. My first meeting, I was 21 and I'm 58. So do the math. I was a chronic relapser, as they like to call them. Um, I'm not sure why I have some theories. Um, uh, I always had that feeling that this time it'll be different, you know, I'm different than everyone else, or I would come up with any excuse to drink. I mean, I just couldn't imagine life without drinking, especially when I tried to drink when I was really young. Uh, I really, really, when I hear people, and I know many people in these groups that have been sober like 35, 40 years, and they got sober in their 20s, and I just admire them so much because my belief is a lot harder, at least for me, to quit drinking in my 20s than it is in my 50s, just because you're at a different point in your life, like you're more settled, you know, all your friends aren't going out to the bar. So for me, it was really, really tough to uh, stop drinking. Maybe I'll try to go in an order. I'll tell you a little bit about me. And then what happened and what it's like now they say to do that in the big book somewhere, somewhere, I don't know. At any rate, um, I guess I'll start with the fact that I was adopted. I don't know if that has anything to do with a lot of my issues, but in a way I do, because I can't, I think that it's normal for a child to bond and being adopted, you don't get that chance because in Canada anyway, it was, I got adopted at two months old. So I kind of went from the hospital to kind of like the nuns for a bed and then to like a foster care and then to my parents. So I really can't see how that won't screw you up. But I did hear somewhere that it, it's not as bad as I thought it was. But I, I that was what that was a good one for for the poor me. So because I love the poor me's when I was drinking, I can still love the poor me's to tell you the truth. I just don't go there as often. Um. So anyway, I got adopted by a nice man and woman. I had a brother three years older, and I lived on this street out in the country that was just as wonderful as wonderful could be. Um, I had vineyards to one side and cherry orchards to the other and the escarpment, which is like a little mountainous ridge in Ontario at the end of my street. And life was absolutely wonderful. I loved life. I was just a fun loving kid. And then at about, I guess, going into grade three, my parents started arguing and they ended up getting a divorce. And around this time, or not a divorce, right? But anyway, they separated. My father left and he didn't come back around. There goes my squeaky toy with my dog. He didn't come back around for what seemed like forever. It might have been a month, but I remember that was the first really bad thing that happened to me. And that when my dad was leaving, he was out in the car in the carport. And I went in the car and I was begging with him not to leave. And I said, Dad, if you love me, 
you won't leave. And he goes, I do love you. Don't worry, I won't leave. Go in the house. And he left. And he never came back for over a month. And I remember, I mean, that still affects me to this day. I was just so devastated. And at the same time, I was a figure skater. And I really believed I was going to be an Olympics, you know. Like, I knew at seven years old, I was going to be the gold medalist in the Olympics. But anyway, the day they, they I was doing a test for a badge. And I had to skate backwards. And I just couldn't skate backwards. And as soon as the test was over, I skate, I was skating backwards. So I said to my teacher, I said, look, I can skate backwards. Can I get the badge now? And they said, no. And I remember thinking, this is bullshit. This is a ripoff. I mean, I can, I really, like today you'd get the badge. Today you wouldn't even have to skate backwards and you'd get the badge. Anyway, that, that, so that, that really hit me by my parents breaking up feeling that badge and feeling really ripped off. And also I was a pretty good little artist and I was picked to put my picture in the end of the year art show. That was a community event and all the schools would would go and compete. But then they found out it was moving to St. Catharines because my parents were getting divorced. So they took my picture out of the display. They said, well, you're not gonna be here anymore. So you don't get to put your picture, I'm sorry. So all these things were just like, what a freaking ripoff, you know? So I started to really feel, I don't know, like, man, the world's out to get me. And then of course, having to move to a new city and, and then my mom got involved with an alcoholic man that abused me. So I got all that stuff too. So that didn't, that added to the mix. Um, I never said anything to anyone until I was 16. The day I turned 16, I brought up this fact that this guy had done things to me and my par- my mom just didn't believe me. My brother didn't believe me. Uh, my mother said, if I have to choose between you or him, I choose him. So I left home at 16 years old. The day I turned 16, the day after my 16th birthday, I moved out of my house and I never moved back in. Uh, I lived, oh my gosh. I lived in a party house for about three months. It was passed around like a little little prize. Um, and before then I hadn't had any real experience with boys at all, you know? And so that was kind of, and it was all like, because of the drinking and the drugs. I mean, you just do stuff you would never do. At least I did stuff. My gosh, I wouldn't do what I've done. Probably even a one hundredth of the things that I did if it wasn't for alcohol. So I just went wild. I mean, I didn't have any, well, I was lucky though. After two months, my friend's parents took me in. Her dad was a doctor and they were wonderful people and they took me in and I lived with them for two years. And I think if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be alive today. Definitely having that roof over my head and given unconditional love was something just absolutely wonderful and new to me. And um, <clears throat> I ended up moving back home when my mom was 48 years old I was 18 she had open heart surgery and it went wrong and she ended up having to get her legs amputated so I moved back home to look after her and my stepfather made it quite clear that the reason she had open heart surgery and lost her legs was all my fault and I just went wild I was out on a self-destruction path that was just brutal how I'm even sitting here today is beyond me I wish my dog I hope you can't hear the squeaky toy but anyway that's my dog um so i just i got right into the uh i met a guy who was 26 i was 16 he was married he was a coke dealer and off to the races i went i mean i didn't breathe a sober undrugged breath for probably two years i mean just every single day multiple kinds of drugs a day drinking every single day and what happened was i moved back home to look after my mother because she was months with this gangrenous legs and um 
one day she said to me, you know what, you got to either shape up or ship out. And I said, well, you know, I can't shape up. So I guess I'm shipping out. And my best friend lived in Calgary. So I, I think she gave me 50 or a hundred bucks and a one-way ticket. And off I went. I lasted a year and a half. I got a job as a waitress and I stayed out there. And that kind of got me away from the worst of the worst, but I still continued to drink and all that stuff. Why am I going off about this drinking history? I don't know. Anyway, at 21 years old, I was working in a bar and well, it's a great place for me because I was with everyone like me. So it was normal to drink and puke and be hung over every day and drink like a fish every night and carry on. And one of the bartenders, he um, always left his key in, key in his car and he, was partying my parents were gone away one night so we were partying at my house me and a friend and him and when he passed out i said let's go take his car for a ride i had no idea how to drive anyway make a lot of story short in the morning there's a knock on the door and it's the police because his car has been left in the middle of the road and my girlfriend and i kind of look at each other and realize oh my God, we realized what we did and we had to go to work for months of people going you took the car no we didn't no we didn't and it wasn't until years later when the two of us were going to AA that I said, Mike, it was me that took the car. And I was speaking at his, his anniversary, got to tell that story and say, and the guy this car I stole sitting in the front row. So that, that was quite kind of interesting. But he did stay sober. He's probably been sober a good, oh my God, probably 30 years now. So, so that was kind of funny, that situation. So I struggled in AA. And I think a lot of the reason was in hindsight, like looking back, I was brought up Catholic and I always wanted to believe in God and always prayed to God, but never really felt like, you know, like if someone said to me, can you talk about God to other people? I'd be like, mm, I'd feel weird, you know, like I just didn't, didn't really feel it. But when I went to AA and people told me you had to have a higher power or God, which around my parts, and I know every part of the world's different, but it's very, very, very Christian-based. God is your higher power, even if you don't realize it one day, you will. <laughs> and so I faked it till you make it kind of stuff for many, many years. And I think that was to my, my falling and feeling at AA. Because I think now, how can you be unauthentic and make it an AA. I think we have to be our true selves and show our true selves. And I wasn't doing that because I was believing well-intentioned people. And I truly believe every one of those people was well-intentioned and wanted me to get sober and loved me very much. But for me, because I came from abuse, I always, always felt so shitty about myself that I never once thought there was something wrong with the program or something wrong with what they were saying there was something wrong with me right i can't find this higher power i can't get sober and i just think that that it would have been different if i would have had secular AA, and it might not have been who knows right they, we have all have these journeys to live but i i have an inclination that it would have been a bit different for me i think if i could have spoke my truth i would have been a lot better off and I'm only saying that because when I came back to AA this time, for the first six months, I was going to traditional AA because I still didn't know about secular AA. I would never heard of it in all the 30 years that I was going to these meetings off and on. Never heard of it. And as soon as I started going to secular AA, my whole world changed. My whole sobriety changed. I never, I just, I don't know. It was like, it was like the spiritual awakening they talk about, you know, that's what it was like even though my spiritual awakening had nothing to do with an outside 
uh, source, you know, it was all an inner awakening. And I was able to talk to people that all, had all these different beliefs and ideas that you can't talk to any, I can't talk like this to people that I know that I don't believe in God. They'd look at me like I'm a creature from the freaking Black Lagoon or something. Like, I actually made the mistake of doing that at a dinner party not long ago. And the woman looked absolutely terrified, terrified. Okay, I can't talk about this, she says, and she's Muslim. And she was just like, ugh, like I was like this evil person. And it's just, you know, that's okay, though, because I have these rooms and, and we can see that we're not evil people. We're wonderful people. And um, now, right now, I don't have a sponsor. I did have a sponsor. I met her in real life, and it was terrible. <laughs> it was like the worst experience ever. So that was the end of that. And um, I don't sponsor because I don't like it. I just don't like it. So what I do is I speak. I I chair meetings. I'll talk to anybody on the phone anytime. But it's just one thing that's not my calling. So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to work my own program instead of doing all those things that are great suggestions. But I don't have to do all those things that I don't feel comfortable with. Maybe one day I will. But right now I don't. So I'm not doing it. I'm doing what I can do. I think I give as much as I can of myself. I've chaired at many meetings since I've been on Zoom. I think I've had a three-week break of not chairing somewhere, um, which has been really good for me. Um, also, speaking is tough because I know, you know, some people are going to like what I say and some people aren't, and that could be hard for me. But then I just think, that's just your ego. Forget about it. Who cares, you know? I know that speaking helps to keep me sober, and I'm sure that someone's going to relate to something I've said. I know I don't speak in the proper way. I always speak about different things. I just, but the main thing I want to tell you is, is for me, I'm really lucky because I ne never gave up. I just kept trying and trying and trying. Man, I fell down, I'd get up. And I'll, there's a lot of women, alcoholics, that feel so terrible that they were a parent and they were an alcoholic. And I'm here to say that. You know, just because you're an alcoholic doesn't make you the worst parent in the world nor the worst person. And I've met a lot of non-alcoholic people that were not the best parents. And even though I did have this situation that wasn't the best, in a lot of ways, I was a really good parent. I love my daughter very much. And her and I have the greatest relationship. And she never gives up, man. She just goes for it tries and tries and I think part of that was from watching me struggle with this alcoholism and depression as well that was I think alcohol induced and she saw me just going and going and never giving up and she learned that you know you fall down you get back up you fall down you get back up so to anyone who's feeling bad about not being the best parent or, or you know wishing they would have done better like just Give yourself a break, man. This is a horrific disease that no one's chosen to have. And it doesn't make you the worst person in the world. And yeah, maybe we would have been better. But there's so much to learn from diversity and struggling. And I think you can see that today in the way that children are, aren't allowed to fall down and scrape their knees anymore, you know? And they're, they're just not happy. They're kind of screwed up a lot of them. And I think it's because... They're just not allowed to be kids anymore, you know? So yeah, just never give up. And I have to tell you, I was always a high bottom drunk, but the last time that I drank, I ended up popping pills and um, I overdosed. 
And if it wasn't for the fact that my husband happens to be a medical doctor and saved my life, I'd be dead right now. <clears throat> so, I mean, I don't think about you can get a worse bottom than dying. <laughs> I mean, I was actually dead for a bit. And um, I had to be shot up three times with Narcon, which is that drug that they bring you back with. And I came to in the emergency room at the beginning, beginning parts of COVID with the shields and the mask. And my husband wasn't even allowed to go to the hospital with me. I just think of what he must have felt like watching me go in the ambulance at three in the morning. And, I, and I'm really grateful for that because whenever it gives me a remember when whenever I hear an ambulance although I wasn't conscious and don't remember any of that but it reminds me of what he must have felt like you know what my friends must have felt like when they heard about that while I lay in that room you know just hanging on for life it was really really bad but when I came to I was really high I was higher than I've ever been I was feeling pretty good and then they shot me up again and I wanted to kill them it was the we're going from the best feeling to the worst hangover you could ever imagine and the hangover lasted a week it was terrible and uh but the first thought I had was I don't have to do this shit anymore I'm done I'm going to go back to AA I'm going to get sober and I'm going to help other people get sober and that is my purpose I picked my purpose and you can pick your purpose you don't have to ponder what's my purpose pick a purpose and do it it's that simple. Stop the pondering bullshit. What do you want to do? What is intriguing to you? Who do you admire? Follow them. Do it. And it doesn't have to be cure for cancer. It can just simply be helping other people get sober. Maybe helping an elderly person in your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be big. Not all of us are got to be big and famous. So I, am I out of time? I'm sure I'm probably out of time. I meant to start a timer and I didn't. Anyway, I guess the, and I'm the mm. happy. I, I, oh, okay, I'll go a couple more minutes. I just want to say, though, and I annoy people with this, but I love being sober. And, of course, shit hits a fan all the time. I'm living in the same world as everybody else, right? Shit happens every day. But I realize that being sober, I'm given the tools and recoveries to deal with that. I've also learned that everything comes and goes. Nothing lasts forever. Yesterday, I was in a shitty, pissy mood. Today, I woke up in a good mood. It passed. I had a bad day. Oh, well, big deal. Thank God I have bad days. Then I have something to compare the good days to, right? And so, so when I, I am truly trying to be happy on the good days because I have some health issues and different things and not every day is a good day. So I'm going to enjoy the ones that are, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so I just really enjoy life. I have a really great life though, which makes it easier. Like I don't have any struggles, which I did. I raised a sink, a daughter on her own from day one, working as a waitress and a bartender for 18 years by myself, no father in the picture, nothing, man. So I know what it's like to struggle. And I also had terrible depression, which was just <clears throat> tenfold due to my drinking, right? I was just so depressed. It was, I get out of bed at seven in the morning now and go, come to this meeting at eight. When I started two and a half years ago, I had to go to therapy to even get out of bed for months just to get out of bed. Like you couldn't even get me out of bed. Like noon, maybe I'd get out of bed. Like I just, there was no reason to get out of bed. Now I wake up and go, is it time? Can I get up yet? Is it too early? Can I get up? <laughs> it's a miracle. And I was on uh, antidepressants for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And I went off them. Like five months ago 
and I'm doing really well. Now, if I have to go back on them, I will. I find nothing wrong with them. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people, especially in the beginning of sobriety, can be really helpful and necessary. But I'm like blown away by that because doctors said I'd have to be on them forever. And yeah, it just blows my mind. But like I say, if like, things go downhill, I'll be getting back on them. I certainly don't have any anything against anything that will help me or help anybody. But I think that's mind-blowing. Also, I meditate, though. I started meditating as well two years ago. I found a meditation group in AA that I started going to. And then I go to another program, Recovery Dharma, almost every day and meditate there as well. And that's been, like, unbelievably helpful to me. Um, Although I find that myself going more back to AA because I just want to listen to alcoholics and the other programs. Everybody can be everything. And just, I don't know, sometimes I just want to be around a group of drunks. (laughs) You know, so, but meditation is definitely a great thing. And I know a lot of people are like, meditation, that's crazy. When I tell people I meditate, they laugh because I'm like the wild, crazy, you know, to even think that I can, if I can meditate, anybody can meditate. And uh, so it's been really helpful. There's this really, since we are atheists, a lot of you probably, not everyone's an atheist, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but a lot of us are. And there's uh, Sam Harris, you might have heard of. He has the greatest app called Waking Up. And wow, that completely changed my mind. It, it taught me that my thoughts are just thoughts. So if I get a thought like, oh, it'd be nice to have a beer, I just go, oh, isn't that funny that thought would come? Because that's what my, it's a thought, because my brain was so used to working that way. Whereas before I would take it like, oh my gosh, I must really want to drink. Ooh, I do, I want to drink, I need a drink, oh my gosh. You know what I mean? So I realized it's just a thought, just, don't even go there. It's just a thought. Like, obviously, if you're getting some weird craving, talk to somebody. But these thoughts come and go. As I often joke, I think about killing my husband at least once a week. I'm not actually going to go kill him. But, you know, thoughts are just thoughts. Don't take them so seriously. You know, just look at them for what they are. And that, I guarantee you, will make your life a lot easier. It has for me. Because you stop judging yourself so much too for all these thoughts you have we all have crazy ass thoughts so anyway i just want to thank you all for having this group finding this group was just such a treat for me because i just you know one of the first times i come in here i don't know if he's here now he was just cursing and swearing and i'm like oh i love this yay you know i just love just to you know, sometimes you go to meetings and people get upset because, oh, you said fuck. It's like, were you not an alcoholic? Because I don't know. I think I've heard those words and worse. Every one of us has said them and heard them. So chill out. <laughs> but anyway, um, thank you for letting me share. And, you know, I hope everyone has another at least happy, sober day. Even if you're not happy, just be sober and the rest will come. Thank you.